0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and welcome to the show. On this episode, we're going to be reacting to Fulham's goalless draw with Everton at Craven Cottage. The first goalless draw with fans in the Premier League since 2012. I think now we can put all of the, it's the first nil nil since to bed. Uh, It's been a couple of years of it. It was the first 0-0 at Craven Cottage. Then it was the first 0-0 with fans. Then it was the first 0-0 at the championship. Finally, I think the 0-0 hoodoo at Craven Cottage is over. Entertaining game. Uh, Fulham probably should have won it. We peppered Jordan Pickford with shots, but none of them found the back of the net. But in fairness for a 0-0 draw, it was relatively entertaining. Here to discuss everything that happened last night is Farrell Monk. Hello.
2: Hello, Sammy James. Hello, everyone.
1: Drew Heatley. Hi, everybody. And live from Canada, Ben Jarman. Hello.
3: Hello, everyone. Hello, boys. Good to be back on. Shame not for a better game than a nil-nil.
1: Well, yeah, not the best, Jarms, but at least it was an entertaining nil-nil with uh, a few talking points to boot. Let's do some three-word reviews from last night. Faz, what were the best ones that came in?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'll start off with uh, a usual, a regular contributor in Jakob Kripper's, uh Couldn't Unwrap Toffee's. Ollie uh, awaiting a change, uh, ever ton of chances. Matt Pollard's halfway to safety, which I was, thought was quite nice. Dan McGrath's nil-nil uh, thriller. And I'll finish off with Brian Lake 12's tricks, no treats. Very, with very a little, good. Little pumpkin, but I won't, I won't add that into the uh, make it a forward review.
1: No, 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 that's fine. I think emojis don't count towards words. I think you're allowed to put in as many emojis as you like, although don't go overboard because uh, sign of a moron when they use too many emojis, isn't it? Right. Let's um, discuss everything from the game. And Drew... <sighs> If you watched Match of the Day last night, you'd have thought it was an even contest. A a disgrace of editing. I I mean, I wonder, and I've been in this situation as a producer, if they'd ran out of time and played the shortened version, because... There was so much that was missed in uh, in match of the day. So if you haven't seen anything else but the highlights, I'd highly encourage you to go find something a bit longer on YouTube because uh, that very much didn't do a justice of the game. We were on top. We had the better chances. I wouldn't say there was a huge amount of clear cut chances, but certainly, you know, Jordan Pickford was by far the busier goalkeeper. And... I think it's overall positive, but maybe just a bit of a missed opportunity to get that three wins in a row, get over the magic 20 point mark. It could have been a really special night, but mostly still, you know, huge room for positivity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I left, uh, I left the game feeling um, fairly positive. I've said it so many times in the last uh, 12 hours or so, but if we'd drawn at Ellen Road and we'd won yesterday, then, then we'd all be super happy. So, uh, i think the, having it the other way around it's it's still okay i mean it's like you said um we had what was it 24 shots but i don't think any of them were sort of above a 7 out of 10 in terms of quality uh chances for pickford there was a few sort of television saves but they were never there was never anything guilt edged or good enough to uh, to really break through, I don't think. So, I, although we did have the lion's share of possession and shots, uh, I don't think we can be too dis, uh, disillusioned with going away for point because I think uh, I think that's probably what we what we deserved at the end of the day. But. We talk about the magic twenty-point mark for survival, but in the modern Premier League, it is—I think—it's the magic nineteen. It's you know, it's thirty-six to thirty-eight nowadays. I mean, gone are the days that you know West Ham's go down with forty-three points and all this. I think it's slightly lower because of the competitive nature of the league. So, I personally think we are at fifty percent of the way to survival, but obviously, symbolistically, not a word. Symbolically, uh, <laughs> <laughs> symbolically, twenty would have been great
1: symbolistically I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> it's late on that. a sunday there's a little bit of bounce back ability about that <laughs> isn't there um i enjoy it i might use it i might just throw it in conversation this week see if people notice um James, there wasn't a huge amount of shocks with the lineup um cabano uh came back in so did Issa diop uh, i just want to mention Issa diop for a minute because i thought he was fantastic. In fact, I thought nearly all of the back four were were stellar in this game. Anthony Robinson, my man of the match on the left wing. Um, I had an Everton mate who runs the Blue Room podcast who texted me after saying like he's like Roadrunner uh, on the left-hand side. So yeah, all of the back four, I thought reasonably impressive. But yeah, Diop and Robinson, for me, uh, some particular praise.
3: Completely. I, I love Diop now. I think um, he's managed to get that spot from Tosin. I think it would probably... It's now his to lose after a couple of really big performances. I think Tosin has looked shaky at times, especially for a couple of the goals at Ellen Road last time out. But I think Diop got sold a little short by the Fulham fan base when we first signed him. He's a guy that has a huge amount of potential when he signed for West Ham from Toulouse all those years ago. And I think last year was really hard done by not to get into a West Ham team that had the season of their lives, you know, the the West Ham team that much performed above the sum of their parts and he didn't really feature all that much and I think 15 million pounds for a guy on a five-year contract that has a hell of a lot of potential is is a great pickup for Fulham and when we stay up this year, it will look like one of the bargains of the season and especially going into next season, you know, he's someone that can mature into a really good uh, centre-half and I think people judged him too early based on that, that Crawley performance, but Watford and player played well during that performance. No one. Mm. Uh, and then um, in terms of Anthony Robinson, like the leap that this guy has had in the off season, coming off um, a season where people were starting to doubt his ability and you don't attract that much attention from a move from Wigan for having next to no ability or just, you know, lacking any footballing IQ. He has both, I think. And he finally... Um, coming to the fore, his his ability to carry the ball up up the field. And every single week, um, the other 14, who's one of my favourite um, Twitter profiles, always has him at the top of the progressive yards. And I think that's because he's such a threat down that left-hand side and he can really progress the ball. Um, and I think that that's one thing Fulham have lacked from fullbacks over the years, is someone that's able to take the ball up the pitch quickly. And he does exactly that. I'd love to see it on the right-hand side with BDR or Kenny, but we just don't have that from them, but they offer something completely different to, to Robinson.
1: Uh, Farrell, it felt like we have weathered a bit of an early Everton storm. And then about 15 minutes, we, we really turned it on, had so many chances in a row. First, there was like the Willian, uh, turn and shot the pick for put over. There was the Mitrovic header ream stuck one inches wide with a, with a fantastic header. It felt like, opportunities and chances kept coming. It felt very reminiscent of the Villa game at home where I was like, okay, we're banging on the door here. All we need is Harrison Reed to scream one for the edge of the box. And then that nearly happened uh, only to be denied uh, another brilliant save by Jordan Pickford. It's almost like, I feel like there's a tiny bit of a pattern emerging with Fulham. We're actually maybe the opening five, 10 minutes. We kind of like sense the game. And it was almost like 10 minutes a. a, a uh, switch flicks, and then Fulham go for the jugular and try and get that opening goal in the half. And um, I guess it was just a bit of a shame that, unlike Villa yesterday, that goal just just never arose. And I think if Fulham managed to get that opening goal in the first half, I think I think we had more than enough to go on and see out the game.
2: Yeah, and it's easy to forget that there are there was two two teams in in that uh, that Everton was sort of contributing to the fact that we were creating lots and lots of chances of will because they were so eager to give us the ball. Um, every time they got the ball, even at J- Jordan Pickford's feet, they were trying to hit that long diagonal over the ba- over and behind Anthony Robinson and it only really worked once and that was the first chance that they created. And then, apart from that, every single time they tried to launch it up, whether it was towards Dominic Calvert-Lewin or, or, or Gordon, I mean Calvert-Lewin has, I don't know, he's got springs in his feet hasn't he? But like the opposite of Dan Byrne, he seems to sort of like leap up so high, but still misses the ball every single time. It's quite a remarkable feat, actually. And that just didn't work for them. And it meant that Fulham were able to get a foothold in the game time and time again um, throughout the game. And especially when we just win that ball, we play it out wide to Robinson, as just Ben was pointing out about him, just eating up those yards down the left-hand side with the ball at his feet. It's, it's, It's not very often you see a left back take on the winger successfully as much as as he does it's usually the other way around um, but yeah we were just able to sort of keep keep a foot on our gas every time we got the every time we got the ball it was just strange it was just a strange decision from Frank Lampard to keep trying that long diagonal over the top the the entire game when actually most of their chances when they did have them in the first sort of 10 15 minutes was actually working the ball through, especially with Alex Awobi, which I think we struggled to pick up between the lines quite a lot and thread balls through um, down uh, between our fullback and centre backs. But yeah, it 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 was it was a very pleasing performance. Just a little bit frustrating. We weren't able to to, to capitalise it but I'm still happy that's for sure
1: uh, and then drew about halfway through the first half I didn't obviously realise at the time how close we potentially came to, to Mitrovic getting a uh, a straight red um, a clumsy tackle on on Idrissa Gay I, I look at it and look I know I'm biased here I look at it and think the right decision was reached it was Borderline between yellow and red. I don't think there was as much force as when we saw Chalobah uh, when I, which I think was was a was a stone cold red. But your thoughts, Frank Lampard was obviously fuming. He would be. I enjoyed that on Match of the Day. Uh, That's the only bit of Match of the Day I enjoyed when Guy Mowbray said, "Oh, well, Frank Lampard thinks it should be a red," but he would think that. And I was like, "Yes, no, yeah, thank you." Yeah, that that tends to be what happens in the Premier League. Is uh, managers will. Exactly, back their cause, um, but we're going to come on to the penalty later. Uh, but if probably wall of justice, it was one one in the game in terms of uh, you know right decisions, wrong decisions, and then who can feel aggrieved?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think just like the scoreline, it's uh, it was a draw in the in the decisions that could have gone either way. It's the mythical orange card level, I think. Um, although I can see why some people would disagree. It's something to hang your hat off isn't it? When you have a draw like that uh, to, to to take that that a potential red card and, and use it and that's what obviously Frank did but from the Hammersmith end it looked I was fuming that he got that Mitrovic got even got a yellow so I, I see it at all I was like we were just like how? so how how is he getting a yellow for a innocuous challenge in the middle of the park and then when you look back you're like oh crikey okay um, yeah it wasn't it wasn't the best from Mitrovic but I think uh if he really wanted to lay it on him, uh, he, on Gay, he would have done it. So uh, I think it was just like as you said, it was just a bit clumsy. But um, I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was Stonewall Red at all. Um, and yeah, exactly what you just said. It's, it's it's the one all on the on the contentious stuff, and I'm sure we'll get onto that penalty, but. More people are talking about the Mitrovic incident. No one's talking. Not no one's really talking about the penalty. So, you know, if you're talking about outrage to the contentious situations, uh, I'd say that Everson have got the the nod on that one.
1: I think there might be a bit of an Everton history with this. I think that they feel like there's been a lot that haven't been given against them. And then maybe one or two that they've done um, has, has gone against them from, from what I can gather from uh, from Everton Twitter, which is not a place I frequent massively. Um, one thing that I did think about the situation and, and charms, you might be interested to give your opinion on this. We give... Mitrovic a lot of credit for being like a shit house, and that that douglas louise red card was such an indication he's just smart he just knew that all right you're gonna put your head even like fractionally towards mine i'm gonna go down here because like there's a big chance with var they're gonna scrutinize this and it's gonna look like a red card Mitrovic's reaction he instantly knows i could be in trouble here and instantly like sticks his hands up apologizes oh i'm really 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 really, really sorry um And I just wonder if it's just Mitrovic's ability to be streetwise in those moments maybe saves him because actually the referee goes like, oh, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, give you a yellow. Whereas maybe some other players wouldn't be um, switched on enough to temper their reaction Look, we're talking minute details here. And, you know, I don't know the psychology of the referee here, but. It was just my first thought when I watched that replay. I was like, oh, has Mitrovic just like managed to get away with one there by, by his reaction to the situation?
3: Potentially. I think that when you look at a VAR decision, it's always so slowed down that anything, in the minutest detail, as you say, looks like the most um, intentional act. So it looks like Mitrovic has stamped on his leg, but in reality, it's a small change to his direction and he's trying to win the ball. And I think his reaction is justified. He doesn't. I don't think there's any malice in there. And I think actually the, the hands go up because he might think that his reputation as a hothead precedes him and he wants to prove otherwise. But again, this is a guy that hasn't been sent off for Fulham at all from my memory. So like, I'm not quite sure why he still feels the need to prove to like prove his innocence. But yeah, I just think it's overblown. And of course, Frank Lampard is going to want Fulham's biggest threat to be sent off.
1: No, no, there isn't an awful lot more to, to add on the situation. Um, let's come on to the second half. I, and I feel like the biggest talking point for me, the, uh, the William non penalty Farrell um, as our, our ex referee on the panel, will uh, we'll, we'll cross over to the, uh, to the truck and, uh, <laughs> and speak to Farrell monk <laughs> to get his opinion on it. Um, I, th- I, I couldn't believe it wasn't given at the time. And then I was like, okay, they're going to go to VAR on this and it's going to be overturned. And then it wasn't. I looked at it afterwards and could maybe see that it wasn't as absolutely clear cut. William is falling easily, but in my mind, it's a penalty all day long. And I, I can't quite see how it doesn't pass the threshold for VAR to overturn it.
2: Yeah, I'd just like to point out I don't live inside a truck, <laughs> but at the time, at full speed, I couldn't tell if it was a penalty or not. Um there weren't that many appeals. Um no. I've got to admit, but yeah, the angle I saw it it was just really quick and then I just thought okay, VAR will look at that and then obviously it was quite a quick like they must have checked it and it was quite quick and then it was you know it was pretty much done very very quickly. So I didn't even think about it until like I looked at text messages and people sort were of saying how much of a penalty it was. And then I w- watched the highlights this morning uh, on the Fulham website not on match of the day of course um where they did show it and yeah it's it's a penalty and i think that var should have picked up on that but as we've seen with var this season even obvious decisions don't get overturned
1: yeah the lack of consistency with it is is just driving me mad like and i i don't want us to be another one of these like anti var podcasts for the large <laughs> majority of it, it kind of works i'm most i'm broadly in support of it i know that i infuriate quite a lot of people you know i hate the delays as much as anyone but yeah that one was a was a baffling decision for me um drew um you were in the hammersmith end i imagine you had a similar view to me because i think from our angle it was it looked so blatant in just
0: the same way that that uh mitchovich just looked like a normal challenge uh this was right in front of us and I couldn't believe it. And I didn't. It, it was such a quick uh, VAR check that I didn't think it had even gone to VAR. And I'm I'm texting a, a mate who's watching it on telly and saying why are they not even checking that. And they said they did. Um, so it, it was they obviously didn't see anything that sort of warranted it. But then I don't understand. I honestly don't understand. And the, what I don't understand even more is the lack of um, the lack of chat about it afterwards. Um, I was looking at the uh, the highlights on Sky Sports app uh, this morning, and it's not even on there. It's, and I know people said that half of the things on Match of the Day was missed out as well. So it's, it it doesn't make sense to me. Is it? Am I missing something so obvious that it was so obviously not a penalty that I'm looking like a fool talking about it now? I just don't know.
1: Um, ben, your opinion as as uh, someone that maybe wasn't in the ground.
3: Uh, I watched it on TV, yeah, and um, I think the commentators were pretty convinced it was a penalty, and I thought the same as well. Um, clearly, uh, William gets the ball before there's contact, and actually, the one in the first half was was a penalty as well, in my opinion. With the and when I think it was Bobby Deckard over Reed had uh, got Russell to the ground off the ball that he like, had the. Um, the The opposing defender had both of his arms wrapped around Bobby's head and just like threw him on the ground. I don't know how that one escaped VAR as well. And Fulham seemed to be more upset about that one than they were uh, the William challenge. I actually
1: forgot about that one. I think maybe because it was at the putney end, it was um harder for us to um, to gauge that, that anything had happened. But yeah, I did um, uh, see that one talked about online. Um, and talk talks through the last kind of like twenty five minutes. There was an, I, I felt like it was a feeling so inevitable that it was like going towards a nil-nil draw whilst Fulham, it reminded me a bit of that Bournemouth game a few weeks ago where I felt like we had more of the ball. We were, you know, getting to good areas, but we were just relying on cross after cross after cross into the box. And it just felt like with the quality or, or certainly the, the skill set of Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky that they were, they were mopping most of that up. The only real chances I felt like they were falling for us were where we actually, got to the byline and and then like we could create much more dangerous opportunities. It just feels like in those moments, Fulham, if we're not in the lead going into that final 20, 25 minutes, that Fulham maybe don't have the uh, the abilities to unlock a defence. I know we literally did that seven days ago against Leeds, so I realise I'm being a bit, um, <laughs> maybe being a bit harsh. But yeah, it just feels to me like Fulham, we play a lot of nice stuff, but we're just waiting for the ball to fall and it's a little bit stick it into the box and hope Mitrovic gets his head on it, which which ultimately doesn't tend to work that well for us.
3: Totally agree. I think there's a part of this, it's slightly naive on Fulham's part to keep trying to feed in crosses when you have Tarkowski, Cody, anyone that, that they're in the centre-half in the Premier League is likely to be able to win the header from a cross as their bread and butter. Um, as just like a, a statutory, yeah, this is I'm a centre-half, so this is what I can do like very well, is tend to win crosses easily and I think that like Fulham could have fought outside the box here started to as you say hit the byline a little bit more trying to force Everton out of positions I think one of the things about Fulham is they tend to get very cyclical with the patterns of play they have when they try and unlock teams towards the end of the game they sort of overlap the fullbacks stick across in let the ball fall out to Tom Kenny. he'll feed it one way or you know the The midfielder on the other side will feed it out to the fullback, and it just repeats and repeats and repeats. And it kind of felt it could kind of feel like when England do exactly the same thing. They have very um, limited patterns of play in the build up, and I feel like Fulham Fulham has exact have have that sort of exact same outlook on this. And they could have done more. They could have tried to to bring Everton out. Um, by taking the ball a little bit further out of the of that penalty area and around that, those zones to try and draw them, and then get in behind. But I felt like consistently pushing Everton back and um, like just lumping balls into the box was never going to work. And I think that we do need to be a little bit more creative with what we're doing. Maybe a little bit more um off the
2: cuff rather than these um sort of like projected build up plays. I think Jarms is absolutely spot on, and I, I found that one of our big drawbacks about our play yesterday was that when we were trying to be into, when we we're trying to be more intricate and clever about it, we just didn't have the people to do that. And a big part of that was that I thought Pereira wasn't as effective going forward as he has been in the last few games. He's got a, a, an amazing amount of industry, and I think that contributes a lot for the whole team. But it was getting to the point where it's becoming quite ineffective and he was you know picking the ball up in decent areas and then dribbling into trouble and then doing his usual he loves the sort of Pereira's chop where he sort of uh, like Ronaldo used to do and he did that quite quite a lot and would lose the ball it happened three or four times and it stifled our attacking and he was doing it so much I felt look, it's not working we need to I think we should have brought on Tom Kearney a bit earlier for him and you could see when Tom Kearney was when he came on, he was offering something a little bit different. He was actually unlocking Everton a bit more, as we have seen throughout the entire season. I just think that that sub was probably a bit too late for it, really. It was nice, though, to
1: see uh, Kenny Tettie come back on for Bobby Decadova Uh We've got a couple of questions on uh, Harry Wilson's sub for Niskin's Cabano. So I'll uh, I'll save that for the questions section. But yeah, not an awful lot to say um, about a, a nil nil draw. But just generally, Drew, our position in the table up to seventh now It's an absolute basket case behind us. The results are every weekend seem to be crazy. Who saw Leeds, um, winning at Anfield after, um, us beating them last week. The first team to win at Anfield in the league since us, uh, incidentally that got a lot of mentions, uh, I think last night after that result came in. So we're just keeping our heads above water. Do you think now we've got enough given the fact that City and United, I know United aren't what what they were, but they're still a big team. Have we got enough that let's say it was two defeats from the next two that you'd be pretty confident going into the World Cup with this points tally and this position in the league?
0: No, abs- absolutely. Uh, look, you know, in the in the winning in this period of five games that we all earmarked as these five winnable games on paper, okay, we'll discount Newcastle for all the reasons that we've done we've we've said so many times. But so you've got these sixteen points after that up for grabs, and we've got eight of them. Uh, that's two points a game, and you know that's that's uh, going to give you seventy odd points at the end of the at the end of the season, close on eighty, or whatever it is. So yeah, we we we've done exactly what's been asked of us in the last few games, and we're on a real high. I, I, the next couple of games, yeah, obviously, you know, City away. There's there's no such thing as a free hit, and now they're going to go on the season unbeaten. Probably not. So you know, stranger things have happened in the past. Uh, United, fine. Same again, Uh, you know, they're only point above us. Uh, So, you know, we're chasing them down. But look, if we end this uh, pre-World Cup uh, 13-game half of the season with with halfway to safety, uh, then for the next, what is it, 20, 23-odd games afterwards, uh, a significantly longer half, uh we, we have to do the same again to stay up and uh, and that's a, a completely achievable ask. We've seen in the in the draws and in, in the wins and in defeats that we are actually uh you know a super competitive team at this level at the moment and that's something that we, we're all still trying to as fans get get to, to grips with but uh we, we've more than held our own in almost every game. Um and you just need you know even looking at the bench yesterday we've got s we've we it was a strong bench like we are we're well positioned and I think we've done exactly what uh, any of us would have hoped that we could have done um, but, and still be surprised about it. But there's more to go than there has been already. And I think we're, we can easily match what we've done. So I'm, I'd be pleased if we get nothing out of the next two games. Like I'm, You'd I'd be, be pleased. I'd be pleased <laughs> with what we've done so far, <laughs> even if uh, we we get nothing from the next two games.
1: I knew what you meant. I was
0: just being a knob.
1: Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we've got loads of your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley, Farrell Monk and Ben Jarman. Let's go through some of your questions, some really interesting ones here to tuck into. First of all, let's discuss Harry Wilson. I've got two questions here, so I'm going to read them kind of both out, but uh, ultimately they're the same question. Matt Wall says, is Wilson a worry? His best form doesn't compare well with William Cabano and Bobby DeCadova Reid this season. How can we get him back to full tilt? Do we have someone who would expect to start, who is our fourth fifth choice winger Solomon over him. And then Romeo Dunn says, how long do we think it would take Wilson to get back to full fitness? It's an interesting situation now for, for Harry Wilson. He did come on yesterday, Jarms, and looked quite ineffective. I thought made some kind of poor decisions towards the end. I feel a bit bad criticizing him because he's just come back. He's clearly working his way to, to full fitness, but, It's not the situation that we had a few months ago where it's kind of Harry Wilson or nothing, because as uh, as Matt references there, we've got William Cabano and Bobby Decker Dover Reed, Solomon coming back to full fitness. And that's excluding Dan James from the conversation. Like there's a point here that Wilson right now might be kind of towards fourth choice winger. If we don't see some improved performances, from him. So hopefully that's the motivation, but yeah, it was one of those performances yesterday, which was, uh, which was very disappointing. And, and particularly when Tete now coming back in, that means Bobby Deckard over will be free to be a winger again. So, um, there's a lot of competition for that berth, and there's not a lot of space to put in kind of subpar performances.
3: Completely, completely. I think every time you have to assess Harry Wilson's performance, you have to temper it. The fact that he hasn't had a full preseason And it it was a pretty long layoff. And also the fact that he's got a World Cup coming around the corner and he probably desperately doesn't want to get injured for that as well. But I think I totally agree. Um, His last couple of performances have been out of sorts. And when you look at the context around who we also have available and their current form, where does he really fit into this? Um, I think he's kind of, the way I'm thinking about it is he's kind of trying to force it a little bit. And that is taking away from his natural game, which we saw to some effect last season. I thought he was probably Fulham's standout player other than Alexander Mitrovic last year, for me personally. But this year, I'm sad not to see him kick on. But I think... When we are looking at the end of those games, the last 25 minutes or so, I think that is where he can have the impact, albeit it didn't really happen yesterday. He is still that guy that can find small gaps. He has that wonderful left foot on him that can shoot from distance and he has a great set-piece delivery. So let's not discount that. I think you just need to look at the context of, of Harry at the moment, you know, still trying to shake the rust off in a league that is exceptionally quick compared to the Championship and trying his best not to get hurt before Wales' World Cup jaunt in in Qatar.
1: Yeah, I think that the World Cup thing is is so important here and has to be playing in the back of his mind. Like, this is probably his only opportunity to go to a world cup. Yes. I know there's four years time in the USA, but like every chance the Wales don't qualify for that, especially if they don't have bail and um, you know, Harry Wilson, I I just wonder if maybe faz like it's a difficult situation for, for Wilson because he needs to perform in to get into that Wales squad. It's not a given that he starts um, for his country, but also he doesn't want to get injured because then he definitely won't play. So I feel like that's having a massive impact on him at the moment and trying to come back from injury to boots. Um, you just wonder, yeah, maybe we're just going to have to kind of almost bed in Harry Wilson for the sake of Harry Wilson over the next couple of games, almost kind of perfect in a way that we're going to city, which is almost a pressure free game. that actually could be a perfect time for Harry Wilson to get 90 minutes. Um, and, and, you know, we also know that Wilson is capable of the spectacular and that might be needed at city
2: yeah i i do feel like the comments about harry wilson's performance yesterday are slightly harsh i think he was i think he was fine and but again he was coming he is coming back from a lengthy injury um but with also the comments about the world cup there are several players that fulham have who have got a world cup looming as well not least paulinia and uh, robinson and mitrovic they've all got a world cup uh, coming up soon and they would They would loathe to get injured right now just before it starts. So perhaps that is on Harry Wilson's shoulders that those things are, um, you know, this is the first World Cup he's coming into. um, So maybe he's just not prepared for it, um, you know, for that, what is going to be the biggest stage of all for him. But it's, you know, we know, especially as England fans, how many players don't necessarily perform well for their club, but then go w- well, perform well for, for England and vice versa. Um, so maybe for Harry Wilson's sake, he's thinking to himself, I'm going to save up all my energy for, for the world cup right now and sort of just take things easy. Um, but I don't, th- I don't, I don't think it's that, I don't think he's that bad. And I think we'll probably see in the next couple of games. I think, all in all, we know the ceiling on Harry Wilson is higher than Cabano. Like, Cabano's great and we love him, but we know the levels of performances from Harry Wilson is is up there. Also, don't discount Bobby Dekadova-Reed from the conversation. If, if and when Kenny Tete uh, gets his right-back slot, um, again, Bobby Reid's been one of our better performers this season and started on the wing as well at the start of the season. So he's going to be thinking, well, you know, I might, I might be ahead of Harry Wilson as well.
1: I, I think that's 100% the case. And you saw, I think Tessy looked good when he came on yesterday. He's clearly working back up to full fitness. Um, this Man City game offers an, an interesting opportunity for us um, in terms of getting players back to kind of some, some match sharpness. And I don't know, I being, oh, true, this, this City game, this isn't the City preview, but it's it's such a weird one, isn't it? When you just are going up against... <laughs> just a, a gigantically difficult game. It's so weird to preview it. It's like, it, yeah, it's, it's it's a kind of a free hit. It's almost like a friendly. It's, it's just, it's so hard to, to analyze because the quality of opposition is just insane. And I imagine we're going to come up against an Erling Haaland who's had a couple of weeks rest. Mm,
0: yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's, you know, this is the top elite level of English football, and the, you know, the disparity between the clubs in it, some of the clubs in it, is insane. Um, you know, that being said, I'm much more confident playing City uh, with this Fulham side than I have been for the, you know, the last two times we were up, and any time in the cup in between those years. Uh, you know, th- I've said it earlier. This we've been competitive in almost every single game that we've played. So, you know, look. Realistically, are we looking to keep the goal difference down? Probably. And I don't think it's defeatist to say that. Um, but equally, you know, anything anything can happen. And if we can go there and who knows, Haaland might have the Lurgy for an extra week or whatever it is that's wrong with him. Who knows? And all of these different things could happen. And and stranger things have happened. I've said it already today on this pod. Like, you know, this is the Premier League. You get these these season defining moments. They they, you know, they they got the win on the weekend, but it wasn't a thrashing. And, you know, so any you know, anything's up for grabs.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's an interesting question here from Steven says with the world cup coming, could we see weaker sides from, from Man City and Man United? Um, Jarms, I mean, you only have to look at City's starting 11 yesterday. I, I'm pretty sure every player in that starting 11 is going to the world cup for, uh, for, for city. Haaland is the obvious exception as one player that is not going to uh, the world cup. I don't know about Kanji. No, he's Swiss. He'll be going to the World Cup. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that entire starting eleven. So it's such a, um, this is, and uh, I hate to use this word, slightly unprecedented times. And and it's interesting that Fulham have got two big teams to play before the World Cup because, I mean, right now, if this was a normal World Cup, teams would be playing friendlies and doing acclimatization and stuff like that. It's, It's quite a mad situation.
3: I just don't know if how much weight this argument really has. I think teams are going to field the players regardless because they definitely, definitely need them to play. But it's whether the players' hearts are in it or not. And I think you'll start to see this, especially with some of the, t- the bigger teams now, that players might start to jump out of challenges or not put their foot on the ball as much as they would like to. And I think that this is where Fulham can almost take like a... Like a we want it more approach. I know it's a little bit of a like a your opinion to have, but like if we can get really stuck in, like we could definitely cause a lot of these teams problems. You know, the likes of Bernardo Silva is want to go to the world is going to want to go to the World Cup because he is one of Portugal's big like biggest players. You know, the likes of João Cancelo probably wants to go to this World Cup as well. So. There are plenty of players out there that are going to go to this World Cup and we're lucky that we, we only have one or two that can. So we can field uh, an 11 that can get stuck in and they know they have a month or two to recover should they get injured or we have a month or two just to, to get back onto it.
1: On that, uh, Vincent Leander asks, what's the actual penalty for us just not turning up for a game? If it's only a 3-0 loss, should we just not bother with Man City and have two-week prep for United at home? Farrell, uh, are you on board with that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it would have been nicer if they uh, scheduled it not not on a train strike weekend, so we can all get there a lot easier. Um, But... I'm not for it because <laughs> I still live and dream and hope that we will get a result against City. That's why we're football fans. It's, yeah, it's the hope that kills you. But, like, you know, if we go there and get stuff and lose, whatever, it doesn't matter. But if we go there and get a result, that's what we live for as football fans. Just that that tiny sliver and dream. You know, I never thought when we went to Newcastle um, and you know, we went up there, they were top of the league. We were sort of like flirting with playoffs at the time, maybe, uh, but Newcastle were flying. And then we saw we won three one up there. And that's, you know, you didn't expect that at all. And that's that's the that's the hope that you have. That's the that's why we're football fans, you know. Um, yeah. I, I I'm definitely not for throwing games away, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: I love that the the first David versus Goliath um, analogy you could think of was beating Chris Hutton's Newcastle in the championship. <laughs> I love that that was the one that came to mind, not like winning at Old Trafford, the time we beat Jose Mourinho's Chelsea, lest we forget we beat Juventus once. But yeah, the 3-1 win at Newcastle. <laughs> That's the one that they should play in the dressing room. Get the DVD out, lads. They- Show it to the team. <laughs>
2: But they'll skip out the last minute when Tim Ream missed a penalty. That's for, you know, but still, <laughs> yes. yeah, that's, that's the, I'm, I'm a, I've only been a football fan since 2016 anyway. So ever since, yeah. ever since the Fulhamish podcast started.
1: Yeah, that's when you started. Um, still a great video of that day. Uh, David Preston, one of the great vlogs of all time, uh, somewhere <laughs> on his uh, YouTube channel, uh, still uh, still comes off my YouTube algorithm occasionally. And I always enjoy watching it because it's, uh, it's one of the greats. Um, Will Brooks says Mitro is one booking from fifth and a ban. Um, He says, wouldn't the sensible move uh, be to rest him for city away. So he definitely plays the more winnable game for United at home. I guess the only problem with this drew is that, like if he gets a booking against United, then he misses Palace at home on the way back in Christmas. So I'm not sure. The only actual sensible option might have been if he was already on four and he got a booking. So he missed City away. Then I could maybe see some logic in him kind of like preemptively getting his booking. But um, yeah, I, I I think that that one falls down because I'd actually say that I'd rather have him for Palace away uh, than for Man United at home
0: yeah absolutely it's one of those things i'm sure it goes on beyond the scenes where they have a little word in their ear and you know uh we've, we there was the famous david beckham uh i think it was against wales back in the day where he was doing the uh the the card management and got himself booked uh, but it is what it is isn't it it's the same same thing we had with uh Peline early in the season we're trying to sort of uh sit in there rain man style trying to figure out the best way to uh to manage his cards for him but ultimately he just jumped in the crowd and uh, got a fifth (laughs) one anyway so football has gone to football I think and uh, you know Mitro will get that that fifth at some point and it will be a pain in the ass whenever he does because of how important he is to us but we can score without and we've shown that before and we we continue to do so so I try not to worry too much about that because either way it's going to be it's not going to be ideal is it and it's going to happen so sort of sit back and wait and see.
1: Uh, and final question. Um, Farrah, I'll go to you on this. Um, can we just, oh, this is from um, at opinions FC. Uh, can we just highlight that the clappers are finally gone and how good the atmosphere is with scarves slash flags better than those atmosphere draining pieces of crappy, unenvironmentally friendly plastic pieces of nonsense, free scarves, pints, food. This is how the club gets support Uh, i enjoy at opinions fc's passion uh for the scarves you've got your scarf around your neck so you're the perfect person to uh, answer the question i like the scarves i've got to give the club credit the scarves are fun they do look great before the game and i think it does get everyone up for it so yeah long live the scarves i'm more than happy with that and, and i've been very happy to see the clappers go i think it's incredibly improved the atmosphere this year
2: uh, I think Opinions FC should change their name to Fax FC. Um hey. when talking about when talking about the clappers. Um yeah, the scarves are brilliant. They probably should look to the weather forecast before ordering though. I mean, it's yeah. probably the the hottest Halloween game we've ever had on record and um I mean, I don't think any scarves were actually worn. I don't know why I'm wearing mine now. Just thought it was a nice symbolistically. Thing to do when uh when doing the podcast hey, as well, to oh my back god you're on fire Farrell um, on fire take the scarf off. Uh, you're too hot. I am very hot I am very hot but you know we have to do the you know I will do uh Fulhamish podcast in all extreme circumstances from a truck uh inside a sauna wearing a scarf all that kind of stuff you know um but it's 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 funny how the clappers were sort of um clapped out like underneath a cloud like no they didn't actually say we're getting rid of the clappers or anything they just stopped producing them and and putting them out it's but yeah probably one of the more popular decisions that that uh, the club has done in recent history well two things i think as well to add to that i think we 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 think the clappers are gone until
0: one get in one game we just show up and they're back <laughs> uh, and that's completely possible like i didn't hate them i didn't love them i think I, I was talking to an everton fan on friday actually before the game and he was talking about the neutral standing clap as you know the, the standard fare but i said anything that boils the piss of an opposition club is is worth it in my opinion it's it's anything you can do michael jackson statue whatever like i'm into it it's what part of what makes the club the club fine gone no problem but Look, I one thing I want to also say is we, we do give the club a lot of stick for when they do things wrong and they do do a lot of things wrong. But I was looking um, and I saw they have an early bird deal on the Camden Hales, £4.50 a pint if you are there before uh, more than half an hour before kickoff. Now, that to me, I didn't know that happened. Uh, that to me would make me seriously consider going and um, and having a few pints at the cottage beforehand. And I know they've left the Riverside open and they've got the player into things after the games keep you sticking around. Those sorts of things are great initiatives. Like you're not going to get £4.50 for a pint anywhere else in London today unless you're in a, in the a Sam Smith's pub. So fair play to them. It's just it's worth
2: bringing up. Strange thing about the Riverside stand yesterday was that <laughs> they wouldn't let us in <laughs> after the game. <laughs> Um, but like they weren't doing it to anyone. They weren't even like, they were checking our tickets and obviously- Were well, you wearing the wrong footwear?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not in those, sir.
2: Well, I mean, on Halloween day, you, you know, it's fancy dress, um, but <laughs> it, was, it was really, so like they were checking our tickets and I was like, okay, I mean, I don't have a Riverside ticket and then they weren't letting us in, but there was a fella next to me who had a Riverside stamp ticket. He left to go and say something to a friend and came back and they wouldn't let him in as well. And they wouldn't even let Ivan Berry in as well, (laughs) which was all... It was all a bit weird. It was all a bit weird. When previously, I've gone... It's been absolutely no problems at all. So, you know, I don't want to criticise whoever is in charge of that or anything. It's obviously a difficult thing managing an entire football stadium. But, like, the not publicising the early bird deals, um, not publicising if the Riverside stand is open or not. These are easy wins that the club could have. And maybe it's um, something they should work on.
1: It does sound like um, some of the kind of new Riverside experience. Um, we've had a couple of emails and uh, about it in the past uh, few weeks and stuff. It's not, it's not great at, at the moment. There's obviously teething issues. I hope Ivan Berry pulled the full, do you know who I am um, at, the, uh, at the, at the, the person that didn't let him in. But um, yeah, look, I'll give them credit for the scarves. Um, I mean, only one thing I'll say about those self-serve beer things is uh, whilst they're quite efficient, they're much more efficient than uh, the humans um, serving beers half uh, halftime in the Hammersmith end, um, space was already at a premium um, behind the goal. It is now unreal how bad it is um, down there. I mean, if you want to go for a wee, you might as well go. You need to go 40 minutes or the first thing in the second half because you just won't make it. It's... Um, it is borderline awful, actually, um, down there. And I know that like this is all being covered by the trust and all sorts like I uh, you know, but you know, it's 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 getting there and um, you know, there's so much um to sort out in the stadium and they've been waiting for the Riverside and it's meant that so much has gone on the back burner. But yeah, that's my, that's my one opinion, but you know, it is quite cool. The, uh, the old E bar and, uh, yeah, they are quite efficient. So yeah, swings and roundabouts drew. I think, um, the only thing that would make you get down there, uh, for a pint is if they serve neck oil, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah. Or any other sort of oddly flavored IPA, but to honest, I like a hells and obviously, you know, Jack Kelly with the immortal line, a transfer of the season, I'm buzzing that they've got it. So, uh, I- I, I am genuinely considering going to the cottage. They, what they need is uh, some bar stools or some sort of ta- table and chairs. You know, fill the concourse pre-game with tables and chairs, so it's an assault course for everyone to get in because no one likes standing with a pint. No, people will pretend they do, but they don't. At my age, I like to sit down with a pint. So, give me a chair or at least a bar stool, and I'll come.
1: Good lord, you're such a dad sometimes. <laughs> um, Farrell, uh, I know that the Sports Trust uh, survey is going to be uh, coming out in the next couple of weeks. So I thought I'd give you an opportunity to quickly uh, promote that as that is your little baby.
2: Yeah, uh, my baby is just about to be uh, birthed. It's the only way that I'm a father, (laughs) unlike uh, uh, Drew, uh, as you correctly pointed out. Um, Yeah, it should be out actually in the next few days. So we're covering lots of important topics, season ticket prices, match ticket prices, uh, club sponsorship. Um, the relationship with the club uh, and other sort of opinions that this stuff is in, it's vitally important that we get as many people involved in doing this. The more voices we get, the more voices um, that we, uh, the more opinions that we get in about the things, the more that will direct our conversations on the trust with the club itself. And if there's something that is particularly um you know it gives the it gives the sort of strength of feeling towards the club as well um and you know we might sort of say things anecdotally about match ticket prices but you know if we actually have the data to back that up we can we can use that um for whatever reason it might be and as we've just been thinking about the facilities in Cramer Cottage if you want if you want to prove to the club that the Hammersmith end is way too full and it's terrible then you know this is your opportunity to have your voice heard. Um, but yeah, it'll be out in a couple of days. Keep a look out in social share with your, all your Fulham family and friends. Um, it'll be greatly appreciated.
1: And uh, we have Tom Great on Thursday club uh, this week, uh, just giving his latest thoughts on the Southampton ticket prices and also uh, some of the club partnerships. So yeah, make sure you listen to the Thursday club for that. Um, Joms, one uh, final nice thing that I thought would be worth mentioning. Um, is uh, Xiao Polina uh, had his baby um, last week. So congratulations to uh, to the Polinias. Um, but even better, I saw that um, I think Cult Zeros sent him a, uh, a baby grow, uh, which he put on his Instagram story, which says 50% daddy, 50% mummy, 100% Fulham. And then Xiao Polinia Instagram storied it. Is Xiao Polina the best Fulham player of all time? And uh, h- how can we get this lifetime contract arranged?
3: He's the best player in the world. No debates.
1: <laughs> he actually is though, isn't he? Like, and uh, you know, he's had a week of uh, changing nappies and uh, still put in a 10 out of 10 performance like yesterday, slide tackling all over the place. The man has perfected the art of the slide tackle. Um, so Those two uh,
0: tackles at the end of the, near, towards the end of the game yesterday yeah. were just, it was art it was just pure art. There's a, I think the club tweeted a, a a video or a gif of him, and just just keep watching him over and over. Like the man, the man has got that precision in his locker, and uh, it's just it's beautiful.
1: But yeah, um, wonderful to uh, see, and yeah, congratulations to uh, Zhao and uh, and family. Uh, it's an incredibly exciting time for them. That is it for the Fulhamish podcast today. All we need to do is uh, name the podcast. So. Mr. Farrell Monk, what would you like to
2: go for? Um, there were some really good ones that I read out earlier and it was a bit of a tough choice, but I do like uh, the sort of ones that are a bit more topical. So I'm going to go for Brian Lake's uh, Tricks No Treats Pumpkin Emoji. Nice. Okay, there
1: we go. Thank you very much, uh, Farrell. And uh, thank you very much to my guest today. Ben Jarman, all the way from Canada. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, Sammy. Good to speak to you boys again.
1: Yeah, lovely to have you on, Jams. Drew, thank you. Thank you. Up the whites.
2: And uh, Farrell, thank you.
1: Thank you, panel.
2: Thank you, everyone. Up the Fulham.
1: As I mentioned earlier, Thursday Club will be back in the week and we will be speaking to Tom Greatshake's chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust. Plus, we'll be previewing Saturday's trip to the Etihad, which no one can get to um, because there's no trains. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be a really, really fun day. Um, We're really excited for, uh, for that one. But you live in hope. There just could be just could be that magic result that we uh, will never forget uh, we will wait and see but until then have a lovely start to your weeks and come on your whites
3: Seedles.